0: No matter the industry, leaders need to hold these things dear. Who we serve, how we serve, why we serve. This is People Process Service, a frontline source group podcast. Everyone, welcome into another episode of People Process Service brought to you by Frontline Source Group. I'm your host, Tyler Kern, joined by my co-host, the president, founder, and CEO of Frontline Source Group, Bill Casco. Bill, welcome to another episode, man. Great to talk to you. Great to see you, Tyler. How about those Texas Rangers, buddy? All right. In the World Series, man. In the World Series. Oh, I'm I'm overly hyped and stoked about this. And so uh, I'm going to try to keep my composure while we record a podcast, but inside I'm doing backflips because... uh, we've never gotten one of those. So it'd be pretty, 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 pretty sweet. You know, Bill, on previous episodes, we've had on the founder of Teladoc on the podcast and... We have another just really impressive and incredible entrepreneur on the show today that I'm really excited to talk to, and it's not often you get a chance to talk to someone who you carry the product that they you know uh, invented around with you every day. But today we're talking to the founder of Hydroflask. Uh, his name is Travis Rosback, and he's joining us from the Pacific Northwest today. Travis, thank you so much for for joining us here on People Process Service. Just really really excited to have you on and to talk to you a little bit more about your entrepreneurial journey. Uh, just who you are, and then the people, process, and service that uh, has gotten you where you are today. So Travis, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Well, thank you guys for having me. And congratulations on your Rangers. I won't get too excited <laughs> just yet, but I will cross my <laughs> fingers for you.
2: Well, listen, Travis, you're <laughs> the only guy in this right now that really can afford to go buy a ticket. So that's all I'm saying, <laughs> right? so, I, you know, the, the fact that you have the, you created this product and, and you can such unbelievable knowledge uh, and recognition when people talk about it is amazing, and so I'm so excited and uh, grateful for your time, and really look forward to talking about this. So, thank you.
1: Oh, you're welcome. I'm I'm yeah. I'm stoked. I'm excited to see how yeah. this. Goes. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I love listening to your show. I, I've listened to a lot of the episodes, and I, well, I really it.
2: It's, it's two guys that don't know what they're doing talking about the stuff that when you drill into it a little bit, we're just having these conversations and people like yourself that take the time just to talk about it is just amazing, you know? And, that, and when I started our company, uh, I started it around hiring one person at a time and, and we have a service in the employment side and putting people to work. But when you drill back, you realize that you build these companies and, and ideas around, around people uh, and then you build something around a process and then you you give a service of some type, and and one day we just we're having a conversation. And we recognize that you know it's not just business; it's life, and and you you go through life and you surround yourself with people, and you have people and in, in your life or out of your life, and you you live your life with a process as well. It's either you have a routine that you live by, or you get up, or you do things, and you you raise a family, or whatever it may be. Uh, and then there's a service. There's a part of your life that you're. You're giving back in some way, even though you don't think of it as a service, whether it is to the community, to your family, to growth, mentoring, whatever it may be. And man, one day it just kind of clicked, and we were like, "Holy cow, this is this is really a deeper deal." And so, you know, you have I think there's just an incredible story. And I and I did I was telling you earlier I've listened to all your podcasts talking about it, and it's interesting because some people listen to it and they're like, oh, "Okay," and and then I don't think they recognize. Uh, part of your story that I found really interesting, which is the story of your neighbor, the beginning of kind of this foundation, which I think starts with the whole people thing. If it wasn't for this person and your neighbor, would you be where you're at today because of that story? You know, it's just really interesting. So, uh, I, and Tyler, I'm not sure if you've heard about this, but I, I would love for you to share it with all of us again, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, and that's a really good, um, Well, it's kind of a a sad, tragic story, kind of. I mean, my neighbor died. I was 12 years old and we were, my mom was, was newly divorced. She had four kids. She was doing her best, four kids under the age of 13. And we were eating government cheese. We weren't, we weren't really living above the poverty level very high. And, my neighbor, however, had a a brand new BMW and he wore suits and ties and all of this fancy stuff that I had heard about or I'd seen on TV, but I didn't know if it was really real. And he, he just had moved in. He'd only been living there for a couple months and, and then he died one morning and his sister came to do the estate sale. And she asked my mom if, um, she would do the estate sale because his sister had to go back home early. And so my um, mom and I were walking through the house with his sister and she said, Travis, you can have one thing in this whole house. What would you like? And there were Rolexes and, you know, suits and ties and all these things that were kind of like out of my 12 year old league at that time. And I remember there was a, 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 like naked woman painting. And I was like, wow, well, I, I like that, but I've got Bo Jackson <laughs> and Mike Tyson posters. I'm not going to take them down for for that. And um, as we were moving through the house, there there was the staircase that went up. And at the top of the staircase, the sun just was coming in and it was hitting this bookshelf. And I said, I want that. That's what I want right there. And she's like, you want that bookshelf? I'm like, I want all the books on it. And they're like, uh, well, okay. I didn't know what they were. I couldn't see that far. I wasn't sure what they were about, but there was some sort of correlation that I could feel between the books and his wealth. That part of the house just seemed like kind of almost a sacred temple area where he would go and sit and read these books. And somehow his success kind of rained down from that upstairs room. And I just, I just knew I had to somehow absorb whatever that energy was that was up there. And so got them home. They turned out to be Jim Rohn, Zig Ziglar, Brian Tracy, little Wayne Dyer thrown in a lot of the eighties and early, early nineties, who's who of business and self-help and things like that. I spent a lot of time in my room grounded. It rains a lot in, in Salem over in the Valley. And I just poured myself into these books and I, I, I just, I just knew that somehow, some way, shape or form, I was going to be one of these business people reading one of these that I was reading about in these books.
2: Right. It just took, you just, did you feel like as a child, you were an entrepreneur inside, but just didn't know it yet? Or like you wanted, did you want to build something or did you want, did you tear apart radios? I mean,
1: <laughs> um, I you know, I, I did used to tear apart stuff, but I could never put it yeah. back together. I, I'm not an right, engineer. Right.
0: <laughs> and yeah, I, yeah. I
1: remember, you know, I'd break open the old VCR that we were about to throw away or whatever. I'd break it open and look at it and be like, okay, well, that's interesting, but I haven't a clue what's right. going on and I, I don't really want to learn and I don't want to get electrocuted. So I'm going to leave right. this alone. But I I did feel like there was something inside of me that sort of, I really enjoyed the branding and building of the brands. I, I, I enjoyed the the growth of a brand. And right. then when I was 14, I met my dad. And he was living in St. Croix, the U.S. Virgin Islands. He's still down there, owns Cane Bay Dive Shop. And I. so I flew from Salem down to St. Croix. And I got to take all of my Brian Tracy and negotiations and zig ziglar and jim Rohn and put that into an actual business at 14 and got to kind of learn what does and what does not work and what's reality and what's not reality and doing business in the caribbean versus doing business in san diego or wherever brian tracy was at that time uh can be quite different
2: right so I, I remember growing up, my brother and I, we, one weekend, we took apart like my car engine in the garage, right? And, and then tried to put it back together and had all the extra pieces. And I remember my dad saying, yeah, you're, you're going to be in business. You, you can't be in engineering. You want you to <laughs> you wanna build it, uh, but you're, you're going to go a different direction sometimes. And you're not always going to follow the path and and i've read a lot of those books and i've i've gone through that and when you think about the people that influenced you and even your father owning a business do you think that that influence opened up that door to make you go there's something like in my dna because i think sometimes some of us have it in our dna
1: i i i think that absolutely in hindsight um there there was a lot of i know that there was a lot of that influence my mom actually started a daycare right around the age of 13. And so she was a solo entrepreneur at that point. And I'm as much as I didn't really consider what she was doing as, as a business, which it was one of the most difficult businesses in the world to run a daycare out of the, out of the back garage. Um, I didn't really think about it, her as a business person. So that, that kind of wasn't an influence that was conscious, but subconsciously, I really appreciated the fact that she worked for herself and that she could be at home, even though she was out back in the, in the, in the, we had a three car garage that was converted into a daycare. And I I really enjoyed the idea that she was no longer a nine to five employee. She was now a, you know, a a 6am till 7pm employee of the daycare. But it meant that she at least got to be closer to the house. And I I remember enjoying that concept and then meeting my dad and seeing his business and seeing like he had t-shirts that had cane bay dive shop. He had hats that said cane bay dive shop. And I just thought it was really cool that it was almost like the Rossback family crest was cane bay dive shop. And to be able to see people purchase t-shirts and hats and trinkets and memorabilia that's, that had sort of our, name on it even though it wasn't Rossback it was Kane Bay and that's really who we were we were the Rossbacks of Kane Bay that that did stick for sure i really yeah. thought that that was a kind of a cool thing that people would would travel back out home all over the world wearing our our our, our merch our gear so so if you look at the time between the i guess
2: 2008 is really when we'll just call it hydro goes forward. <laughs> and when we go back to that time timeframe uh, and, and I've listened again to, and, and read a bunch of it, talk to us about that time in between, between that, that taking that idea and going forward, and we can get to that part, but the, the influence that was in between that, mm-hmm. I mean, where, w- was there something that really ticked along that way that you would try different things or what was going on with your life at that time?
1: Well, I I had tried to be I I was a a dive master and a dive instructor. And and I I tried to do that the rest of my life. And I I found that it just wasn't paying the bills and it wasn't financially beneficial. I I wasn't able to really sustain, you know, year after year living in St. Croix as a dive instructor. And so I became a boat captain. I ended up moving all the way up to a fifty-ton US merchant marine. Uh, boat captain's license, and it paid a little bit better. I ended up on some yachts that actually paid very well um, it but I missed business and i was i kind of got tired of living so close to the salt water and in the and around the salt water so much and I have real fair skin, so I was always sunburnt. And then I became an airline pilot one day, and it just kind of hit me that I'm a pilot. This is what I'm going to do. Yeah, I'm now. sorry.
2: I'm sorry. Hey, hang on a minute. Hang on. <laughs> I, I I just I, I I just became an airline pilot. I mean, you just don't. What? How did you just become an airline? I mean, you literally are diving, and now we're flying.
1: Well, I was on a <laughs> yacht. Yeah, and and the captain said, "Hey, I'm getting ready to retire, and I want you to take over." and he he told me, you know, it's, it was, it was a massive salary. It was, it was yeah. multiple six figures and, and predominantly in cash. And he says, I'll, I'll teach you how to hide the money. I'm like, that sounds kind of <laughs> dangerous, kind of risky, but also extremely exciting. I like it, but <laughs> I don't know about that. And um, I declined. I just said, nah, you know, I'm not, I don't, I don't really want to learn how to launder money in the Virgin islands and, and other eastern caribbean countries
2: side note the irs does not listen to our (laughs) Uh, podcast we're very above board everybody nobody's being paid (laughs) here so don't worry
1: and and so i was like nah i'm I'm good thank you and and i quit and and i i was walking down the gangplank for the last time and i had this oh my gosh travis what in the world did you just do dude like you have nothing else i was probably about 22 23 at the time and, uh, all of a sudden a seaplane just took off from the water out of the harbor right next to me at a, at a Christian stead. And I was like, that, that's what I'm, I'm a pilot actually. And, um, I, I went over, I moved over to St. Holy Thomas God. and I was in St. Thomas two days later and I had $11 to my name and went to go get my, my laundry done so that I could go show up and get a new boat job, boat captain job. And um, so I'm getting my laundry done. I go to buy my macaroni, cheese and hot dogs and my gallon of water. And I'm checking out, I look over, there's this flying magazine. And again, it was just like with the bookshelf. It was the darndest thing. Like the lights came on, the cherubs are singing, the harps are playing. I was like, I'm a pilot. And I went and picked up the magazine. I kind of held it up and all these St. Tomian people were like, what's this little white boy doing? You know, like this is kind of weird. And like, look at this. Like, can you believe it? They make magazines for pilots and I couldn't buy my hot dogs, but I did get my water. I got my macaroni and cheese. I had to sacrifice one of my t-shirts cause I couldn't afford to get my t-shirt from the laundry lady. And I got back to my place and the uh, landlord was knocking on the door. He's like, you owe rent. Where have you been? I'm like, well, I've been on the boat. My ex-girlfriend was supposed to pay. Yeah. She didn't pay okay, well, I, I have 27 cents to my name right now, so can I pay tomorrow? <laughs> and so I went and sold my truck and uh, moved up to Salem, Oregon, back home to Salem. My, gran- my great-grandmother had just died, so I had a free place to stay and got student loans and started, started flying, and that was April uh, 2001. And so I flew from April till two thousand uh until September eleven. We we had to be grounded for for a few weeks. But that's that's kind of where I and how I became a pilot.
2: I'm just gonna say it's like squirrel and you go, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. well, had should be glad like a garbage truck to drive by and you were <laughs> like, garbage truck? And I'm like <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean That's that. that, that I mean, make, first of like, all, ninety grand that, a year in New York as garbage men. and I always. I know, kind of I thought that, that, I, it's that all used to be a good analogy.
2: Stuff. It's not anymore. It's horrible. <laughs> you're right. I mean, I think you're, you're making like a buck forty here. Yeah, uh, but the the fact that you had that opportunity was huge uh, to be able to jump and do something like that. Obviously, it, it was something that was a desire that you had, and then again, you had people around you in different ways, uh, and if you. If the girlfriend uh, hadn't paid the rent or had paid the rent, maybe that would have been different. If the guy mm-hmm. had not knocked on the door, that could have been different. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I, I, sorry about your great grandmother passing away because that leads to another whole thing, but you had a place to stay, which mm-hmm. opened up another door. So these people around you are influencing you in different ways that you don't even realize that are, are, are molding you into that next phase.
1: It, you're absolutely right. And yeah. I, in hindsight, like in hindsight, like when I was there, I, I I guess I didn't really fully comprehend the fact that like all of these people were were really helping me. Even like I'd call the flight centers and I'd be like, "Hey, I want to be a pilot. I'm going to fly those seaplanes that I just saw, and, and they have an opening in September, which was you know 2001." And I wouldn't have made it anyway. It was it was much too quick. But a lot of the people who I talked to at the at the colleges at the flight schools were like, no, it's going to cost you 180 grand unless you have any money. You can't fly with us. And and so I called all of them in the in the back of the magazine. The very last one I tried, she says, oh, yeah, we'll just get some student loans. Like, I don't know what that means, but I'm absolutely (laughs) going to do that. And so, sure enough, I moved back to Salem. I call her back up. I'm like, "Okay, you said this student loan thing. What does that mean?" And She's like, "Oh, I'll send you the paperwork." And then my grandparents co-signed. They were both still working at that time, and they were making good enough money that they could co-sign with me. And 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 off to the races I went.
0: That's just. I I was just going to say, it seems like there's like a natural curiosity to you that, like, when you. Like when, when there's something that is, uh, is interesting or you look out at the world around you, like something that grabs your interest, you're, you're going to run with it and you're going to learn about it. And I think that that, do do you feel like that's an accurate, maybe description of, of yourself, just naturally curious, naturally wanting to explore the things you see around you and find interesting?
1: I I really do. I, I do. I think that if there's something that I'm even a little bit interested in and I mean, again, I had no job, I had nothing else going on. I got the landlord knocking on the door. I had to sell my, my, uh, my truck in order to pay the landlord and buy the ticket back to Salem. So I get back to Salem and I didn't have much else to, you know, like I had nothing really. I had no job. I had no money. My girlfriend and I had broke up. And so I was ready to do the next thing, whatever that was. And it hit me so hard that I am a pilot. And I'm not necessarily flying airplanes. I'm not necessarily the guy who just flies airplanes for a living, but I am a pilot who flies airplanes. And so I, I I naturally was drawn towards learning. What does that mean to be a pilot? And you know, how do they walk? How do they talk? How do they dress? Where do they hang out? Um, What's the psychology of piloting and being a pilot and then i went to the flight school to learn how to fly airplanes and when i put those two together the psychology of pilot with you know here's how to turn on and fly an airplane without killing yourself and everybody else it it really propelled me forward in the flight training world because a lot of the this my fellow student pilots their goal was to someday fly for the airlines but in the interim they they saw this long hard path that they had been sold to becoming an airline pilot. But first you fly airplanes, you teach how to fly airplanes, you put in your hours, you put in your months and years. And maybe when you're, you know, half dead or even closer to half dead, you might go try to apply for the airlines. And I saw it differently. I saw it as I'm going to go to the airlines, uh, cause I'm a pilot and I'll figure out how to fly the planes, uh, in the interim on the way there. And, and, that curiosity led me to accomplish that, and in record time, technically.
2: Not, not only that, though. If you think about it, you actually had created a process already of how you go through these things. Mm. You you did that with the books. You did that with learning and understanding. You did that with the uh, the dive shop. Uh, you did that with uh, understanding how to become a diver, how to how to do, the, which moved on to the curiosity going back to what you said, Tyler. The the boating to then become a captain to understand how to do that. It's almost like it was a natural thing. Okay. Now the pilot part to understand that I'm going to go through this to understand you've got, you're building out these process, which if you really fast forward and you think about the, with the, the hydro, I just like calling it hydro. I don't like the word <laughs> flask. I just like hydro. I, uh, I don't,
1: think they don't either. I don't like the word flask. I think whiskey I and I think Burnside bridge and I think homeless people. And I think I don't want to promote that.
2: No, oh, I, like, I like the hydro word. I, yeah. I'm gonna, <laughs> it's probably trademarked already. But anyway, uh, so then I'm thinking, because the story about your idea with that, again, goes to the same whole thing. It's exactly what you have actually done before with this process, if you think about it, in many ways. You had, again, the idea, which love for you to share. And then I do want to drill in to, to how to get it produced and everything else, because that really is a combination of the people and the process around it.
1: Yeah. I, I think that the, the first place I, I kind of did the same thing with rock climbing also during nine 11, when we were all there grounded, I, I moved over to bend Oregon to go climb at Smith rock. I wa- I really wanted to go rock climbing. I just had heard about it. I was like, Whoa, that's cool. They allow you to climb on rock. That sounds crazy. I want to do that. And So I bought The Idiot's Guide to Rock Climbing because I had bought The Idiot's Guide to Boat Captaining and it worked. I bought The Idiot's Guide to Flying and Gliding and it worked. And so I bought The Idiot's Guide to Rock Climbing. And I went into the number one store, Red Point Climber Supply, and I was like, I'm here to work for you guys. I'm a climber. And they're like, well, what about this, this, this? And I knew the terminology from the Idiot's Guide, even though I'd never actually climbed a rock before. I got the job. And then, you know, once I had the discount, I could start buying gear, then I could actually start climbing. (laughs) <laughs> and then by the time Hydro Flask came around, you know, it was the Idiot's Guide to Business, and it was the Idiot's Guide to Marketing, the Idiot's Guide to Sales, the Idiot's Guide to Negotiation. And, and once I started to kind of acquire more and more uh, vocabulary, then all of the other books that I read from business and, and negotiation, sales and all that, you know, micro specifics of business really made a lot more sense. And, and, and by that time, I was really putting them into to use also.
2: Right, so the idea—the idea behind Hydro was you're in you—you you end up in Hawaii, which again you're going to go to to more salt water. Which I'm—I'm I'm just thinking you're just attracted to that. So we're in Hawaii. Uh, we've got these issues with the plastic bottles, and you come up with an idea, and you're like, "I'm solving it. That simple." Mm-hmm. And you don't think you—you you make stuff and tear. Are you kidding? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and you just threw in, you did rock climbing, which by the way, <laughs> add that to the list. I mean, are you, seriously, right?
1: right? Uh, well, and I, I, I just had a uh, trigger f- finger. I have trigger finger in both hands. I just had one operated on and the second one's come Monday. I'm going to get my, my left one operated on. So that's for, that's proof that I was a rock climber. <laughs> I, <Yeah>. had, <laughs> I, had, I got trigger finger, you know, a lot, 20, a lot 25 it, yeah. years yeah. later, but uh, yeah.
2: But and on top of it you have this idea and it's 2008. Yeah, where, you know, the great recession is taking right. place. Complete yeah. meltdown of entrepreneurial spirit in the not just our country, the entire world is literally melting down financially. Right. And, but you're not worried cuz mm-hmm. you've bought the idiot guide to building a business. <laughs> Which page one says get financing, right? Yeah,
1: right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, well,
2: that's not going to happen. So yeah, we're going to move I, I, on.
1: I skipped that one. That one did it. Yeah. Um, and and I, I, yeah. I
2: read you get on a plane and you go to China because you're going to have this thing made, right? You're going to go to China and you meet with these people and they go, yeah, we don't do that. We actually do plastic bottles, but there's a company in another part of China. They they might do it, and you get on a plane to go there, and basically get off the plane, and you're like, "Here's the fair-skinned American." You don't know who you're supposed to meet with or where to go, and they pick you out of the crowd, and they're like, "Come with us."
1: Yeah, yeah, it, that was a remarkable day. It was incredible. It, I mean, it. Hanjo is I don't know how many people live in Hanjo. Probably, I mean, it's well north of four million, and And there's Travis. (laughs) It's like I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where I'm supposed to be. I don't know anybody's names. I don't. I can't read anything. I I mean, and this was 2008. Maybe doesn't sound like that long ago to a lot of us Westerners, but China in 2008 was a radically different country than it is in 20. Twenty, even the last time I was right. there, and and so I, I really was the only Westerner out of all of the people at the train station, and and so I, you know, I'm very grateful that Natalie found me, and then yeah, we just spent the next couple weeks going from factory to factory, being told no, that that's not a real thing. We don't really do that. That's not the way water bottles work. Um, the thermos was glass and metal. That's that. We we can't do metal and metal with the vacuum. We don't do it. That's stupid. Please leave. And so we were denied over and over and over. And we would go all around, it's called Xinhua in Yun Kong area of China, where all the metals are made. I you know, most all metals made in Yun Kong or, or or Xinhua. And finally, uh, uh, the, I remember one guy, I remember very specifically, his his face was like. Whoa that's weird like that's the craziest thing i've ever heard i don't like it i think i do like it i don't know if i like it yeah okay yeah if you're going to if you're going to pay for it let's do it uh, and they were like, oh, OK, yeah, what do we do? And he's like, well, you got to go get these parts to make these machines, to make these machines so that we can put it together so that we can then put it on the, the vacuum. And so we started buying screws and nuts and bolts and started making the machines to make the machines to make the parts to add to the machines. I, I just,
2: I, I, you know, it's like the day, think- just, just a normal day.
1: Well, I, and I had nothing else. Like I had sold my moped, I'd sold my surfboards, I'd sold my girlfriend's surfboard. Like I, I had really not much else to go home to anymore. And, and Like you said, the recession was just barely starting. We were just barely starting to understand what this thing might be. Sure, it was in the paper. Yeah, there was a little bit of, um, I don't like the term, but scuttlebutt about it. Um, But living in Hawaii, it was a bit delayed because people would buy their tickets. They'd pay for their hotels. They'd sign up for their, you know, excursions and pay for it. And so they'd have to fulfill that obligation, even though a recession was going on on the mainland. So we were a little late to like fully understand what 2008 was going to be like. And so, but when I was in China, I I had a feeling that I, I really don't have much else to do right now. And I don't have much else to go home to. So I might as well be doing this now and so i started learning about engineering and how to put machines together and how to bend metal and stuff
0: it's it's interesting to to me to to talk to both of you as entrepreneurs because it seems like there's there's this attitude and this idea of either nobody is doing this and somebody needs to and that somebody's going to be me or somebody is doing this thing but it can be done better and i think that Travis in, in your case there were people making water bottles but just not great ones, right? You didn't there's the BPA problem with the plastic ones, but then other people that were making water bottles either they didn't they didn't work to what you needed or they didn't keep the water cold and that sort of thing and so there was there was a space in the marketplace and nobody was filling it and you said, That's gonna be me, which takes some guts or something else, but uh I like I, I just find that really, really impressive. Um and, and like when I, as I talk to both of you, I see that, that kind of, that entrepreneurial spirit of saying there's a, there's a hole in the market here. There's a, there's a, there's space here and I'm going to be the person that steps in and fills that space.
1: It, it was kind of a odd scenario. I, I did go into a sporting goods store to get. A reusable plastic water bottle because that's all I knew. I, I knew that there was the single use plastic that was in the ocean. It was washing up on our beach in front of our house. And I was tired of cleaning up the plastic from the ocean. So I didn't want to do the reusable or the the single use. And there was a brand, it starts with an N, and they were doing reusable plastic. And so from my rock climbing days, I just thought, Oh, I'll just go get a water bottle and I'm thirsty. I'll just fill it up and I'll drink water. And I went in and the whole shelf, the whole wall, not just the shelf, but the whole wall was completely empty. And I said, what happened? And they said, well, it's this stuff, BPA. We're not really sure. The the owner kind of freaked out. She probably went overboard. And so as a preliminary, uh, a pre pre you know, preliminary measure against this stuff that could be killing us. She decided to have the whole wall pulled. I was like, well, who's going to fill up the wall? And the guy said, well, there's nobody. And it just hit me in the back of my, my head and my cerebellum and it came out my mouth. I will, I will do that. And, um, I found that, yeah, there was an aluminum bottle and I bought it and it was really expensive and the ice wouldn't fit inside of it. And if I put cold water in it, it, it wouldn't stay cold while well, I went out to surf and, um, my brother called and he's like, yeah, i found this new single wall. Well, he didn't say single wallet because we didn't have double versus single, but he said, I have found this new metal water bottle you should buy. So I tried it and same thing. I, I, it was, it was actually big enough. I could put ice cubes in it and take it to the beach, go surf. I'd come back, the ice cubes would be melted. It'd be too hot. I couldn't drink it. I'd go hike up a mountain here in, in, in Oregon. And by the time I got to the top, it would be frozen and I'd have just a a chunk of ice. And so I, I remember that my grandpa had a thermos that had glass and metal and it weighed 800 pounds and it stunk. And it was just kind of not, it wasn't what we call nowadays, everyday carry. It was a very micro specific coffee pot that you could take with you to go fishing. And that was about Mm -hmm. it. And, and so I, I just, I I figured, well, how hard can it be to just blend these two technologies together and, you know, take a everyday water bottle that can hold ice and hold hot and hold even just room temperature is, is a, is a luxury. That's, I actually prefer just, I prefer like the lukewarm or the like sort of just tap water And, and come to find out. Yeah. Like, well no nobody else has done that before so it was a blending and merging of technologies and and the fact that yeah nobody had thought of it it kind of perplexed me but i guess i didn't know enough to not know
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think i think that's the i think that's the interesting thing to me is just is that recognition of and, and even just that that willingness to say oh that's that's gonna be me you know I think uh, I think comes from somewhere, and as as we've had this conversation, I think I think we have a better and better idea the longer we talk to you. Just like where that comes from, it's just yeah. that that curiosity and that that entrepreneurial spirit's always been there. So so as you're trying to build this product and have it built, are you solo by yourself
2: doing this, or or what have you built something around you, or how are you doing that?
1: Um well so I did have a girlfriend at that time um uh, back in Oahu and and she was um she was kind of like, "Okay, I don't know what you're talking about or what you're doing, but if you can figure it out, I guess I'll be with you on on that and if it works, I'll, I'll be there and if it doesn't, I'm gone." And and she ended up leaving. Okay, at, that's that code. That's
2: code for if you make a lot of money, I'm staying <laughs> yeah. and if you not, I'm out.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 she was out and and yeah. that was fine because, you know, we went on to make a lot of money after that. Um, yeah. and then in, in China on that side, um, you know, like I think one of the one of the greatest successes that I had was going to that Shanghai factory that turned, because I, I, I found that there was a factory that said they could do double wall vacuum insulated, or, or they they said they could do an insulated water bottle for me, and and I said okay, metal, and they said yes. I said okay, I'm on my way to China right now. I'll be there, you know, Friday. So I take off to China, I get to Shanghai, and it's a plastic water bottle factory. I'm like, okay, you guys said in this fax, metal. And they said, oh, yeah, no, uh-uh, no, it's plastic. I said, well, you said insulated. And they're like, oh, yeah, you can put ice cubes in them. I'm like, no, I said metal. Like, I just sold my surfboard. I sold my moped. I'm here to <laughs> do water bottles, metal. It says metal right here. You said, yes, right here, metal. I'm like, yeah, no, 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 not, no, not, not metal, no, plastic. <laughs> And so I was like I need to probably leave before I go postal here cuz I don't know what else I'm going to do with my life because you know this isn't a good scenario and this guy came up and he grabbed my arm he's like I have a cousin in Hanjo he might be able to help you I'm like I got nothing else going I guess I'm going to Hanjo I'm here for another couple of weeks and so yeah I don't know what that means but help me get there please And so his cousin picked or his cousin's wife picked me up at the train station and, um, takes me back to this tiny little office. And it was, it was really kind of a gnarly situation. And, and then on the China side of things, I had Natalie and Michael who at that time they were in this tiny little office in Hangzhou, and Michael was like, yeah, let's just get on the train tomorrow and go to yin Kong and we'll go find the metal factories that can make your double wall vacuum insulated bottle. And I was like, great, cool, let's go. And it, it took a lot of, a lot of doing. It took a lot of months to finally figure out the whole process to actually make the vacuums and, and, and make the bottles ready for the vacuums and things like that. And now he's doing one hundred and ten million dollars a year internationally, making water bottles for pretty much all the big major brands, and so wow. um, he, you know, they're they're doing very well over there, also.
2: Uh, does he? Do you get like a Christmas card at least?
1: No, and that's the darndest thing. It's like <laughs> I, I don't actually talk to them anymore, and it's it's really kind of yeah. sad. There was a lot of kind of politics and stuff after I left Hydro Flask. It, um, it they decided. To to go a different direction, and um, he he saw that as an opportunity to open up his own factory. He now owns one of the largest double wall vacuum insulated water bottle factories in the world. So they yeah. went from a, a one tiny little office to owning multiple floors on one of the biggest uh, buildings in Hanjo. So
2: yeah, but think about that again. It goes back to you know y- your interconnection with them, and then what they were able to take and turn from that, that led to something else as well. I mean, the difference you made on, and, and you think about the people, it's not just always about you as much as it is the, the differences you made in people's lives. And so you look back on it and, and what you created, first of all, what you created and the idea, think about how that's changed. It, it's, it's changed lives, right? It's changed even lifestyles, the way people do things, what they walk around with we we were in park city recently and hiking uh, a couple weeks ago and we had them and that was before i really realized there was a connection with you right and so <laughs> then you start thinking about I, i'm not going to walk around i mean it's just i don't normally walk around with one right so but then i was like hey this is actually kind of cool and now it became a little bit of habit and then when i realized i'm like holy cow that is that's the actual deal so then you realize, wow, it made a difference on people. But then you made a difference on people in a whole other continent, not just of a product, but even their lifestyle, uh, the, the way that they're living, what they're maybe giving back to their families and, and everything else. And then the power of that all came from the book of idiots on business.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really utilized a lot of the fan Comments and the the positive feedback that I would receive and that we would receive as we started to grow, people's lives were were getting better from drinking water, and um, you know, husbands were were finding their wives more attractive and wives were finding their husbands more attractive and, and, and people were just working better. People were losing weight. They were drinking less pop, less alcohol, less juices, and they were keeping water with them and they, it it affected their, their health tremendously. And as we would get those, you know, positive letters, it would be two o'clock in the morning and I couldn't sleep, not knowing how I'm going to make payroll that day. And I'd read these letters and be like, well, I, I got to keep going. I can't throw in the towel and take off as much as I really want to right now. I, I have to keep going. And then I'd get to China and I would, I would meet with the factory employees and to see the happiness on their face and faces and to see the quality of life improving. Every single time I would go to China, and I was there, I was there almost every month. And it was better and better and better and better. And so I'm getting it here at home. I'm I'm seeing our employees are, you know, growing and and, and their families are growing. And then we have sales reps and we have store locations all over the world that would call me and, and thank me for allowing them to sell our product because our product was keeping them alive and and going during the 08, 09, 2010 days where not a lot of people were buying a lot of anything at that point, but they were buying hydro flasks. And so it, it really kept me driving to just keep giving more and more of myself because I was getting that positive feedback, like you said, internationally. And, and that felt really good. And it does feel really good. I wanted to hydrate the masses. I wanted a really cool water bottle that I could drink out of. And, and then I wanted everybody to use a really cool water bottle that they could also drink out of.
2: So, so I mean, for, I mean, everything – I'm still just kind of blown away on this, right? Uh, you, you are so extremely positive about things. And yet you have never it, – it sounds – uh, turned your back on the adversity when it comes to you. I mean, it's on your doorstep, which any entrepreneur has when it comes to how am I going to make payroll? How am I going to pay things? Your your girlfriend takes off with all the money. You don't have money to pay for everything. Uh, your your employees are you know not getting paid at, at a time. You, you didn't let that stop you. You you figured out how to do it. So when you think about it, I mean, as, as from a life standpoint. You've been hit from that from day one, right? And you've always figured it out. And I always like to tell people it, it is about that when you're not, you figure it out. You don't, if you're, you're a real entrepreneur, you always figure it out. You literally have just told the story about how every time it's been hit up on you, you figured it out and you keep moving forward. And I know jumping this is way forward because you think about the, the incredible service of what you have done to create this thing. But not just that, because I got to go back and there's all these different stories along the way that you've been doing this to build on it. But but today, what 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 are you tell me? Uh, tell us today, what what is Travis doing today? Because there had to have been a squirrel that ran by after you got rid of all that stuff, and you said, "There's got to be there's got to be a better mouse trap here." Uh, what, what is what is Travis doing today?
1: Well, today I'm doing travisrossback.com. And that's my legal way of doing business in the United States, and what I do with Traviscrossback.com is is a lot of advising. I'm starting to build courses to teach other people how to do manufacturing and how to do entrepreneurship and i I have everything from you know five hundred dollars to a hundred thousand dollar year long programs and i i love business. I love building brands. I love building businesses and I love giving back. And so I'm I'm doing what I really enjoy doing.
2: Was it your mom or your dad that made you such a positive influence on everything you touch?
1: I'd say it was my mom. Yeah. She's, she's, Oh, she's almost overly optimistic. I would say there are times where I'm like, mom, I need you to just tone it down a little bit. Like, I don't think things are going to be that great. And then oftentimes they really do turn out that great. Hmm.
0: When and, you look yeah. around at the, at the current landscape of, of business in the United States, from your perspective, what, what do you see? Are you optimistic? Are you positive about what you're seeing or um, yeah, just give us your sense of, of what you think business is like these days.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I, as far as America goes, I think that we have a lot of work to be done. I think that we have to take a real good hard look at where we are and where we're headed and, and, and look at our past, especially the last three years and think about, are we going to, are we going to do that again? Are we going to go that direction? Are we going to continue in the direction of, 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 um, um, I, I hate to say demise, but we we have to really start looking at this country as the greatest nation again. And I, I think that entrepreneurs are the best way to help solidify the fact that I want to keep this country and and I want to keep it the greatest country in the world because I really do believe that. I believe that the United States is the best country to start a business and to own a business, to run and operate a business. But we need to really kind of take a step back and, and, and think about what does that mean? What does that take? What do we have to do? We have to, start, we have to start more businesses. We have to start being more reliant upon America first. I think that we've outsourced a lot of our, I know that we've outsourced a lot of our manufacturing, a lot of our IT, and I don't want to get too political, but we. I, I feel that we need to come back to more of America first goal and And I really believe act boldly and unseen forces will will come to your aid, and I just hope that enough bold entrepreneurs and business owners step up and uh, can help us accomplish that.
2: but you know I, I read uh, about a, it was about a year ago, and it, it's on that same point that the entrepreneurial spirit is is a dying breed because it's not an environment that allows you. To, to be the entrepreneur and to take that and to run with it like you did. Uh, and I, I have to agree with you. I, I think it's, a, a, it's very difficult for this young generation, this new generation, to understand what it's like to build. First of all, they don't understand what it's like to build something, uh, whether it's a, a company or a product. And then on top of it, the, the government isn't really there to promote that. It's almost like they don't really want you to do that. Uh, And yet we're sitting with greatness and talent that took something and an idea uh, and and created an incredible product and something that now we all are used to. It'll be right up there with saying, you know, a Xerox or something. I mean, you literally have a brand of something you created that is as well known. And I'm I'm blown away after I did the research and understood more even about it, uh, that it's it's no different than people recognize it like a Starbucks or Tiffany or anything else, and you, and it's an unbelievable accomplishment of what you have been able to do. Not not just the product, uh, Travis. Your story is amazing. Uh, I absolutely love it, and your attitude and and positiveness. I want to tell you I, I, personally, if I had been you, I'd been buying lottery tickets uh, every time it got to the billions because by God your luck somehow just jumps in there uh, but it's and people think all the time it's luck but it's not it's hard work it's determination you have been to the ground and you've been to the top and that's what it takes and sometimes you got to do it 10 12 times uh, and and you know what I love your story and I love I love what you're doing right now because that sharing of that giving back to the to the people and exploring that is a way for you to to really tell that story over and over again and i i, I personally I, I i really am blown away uh and and a, I feel honored to have spent the last hour talking with you and and thank you very very much
1: I, I I can't say thank you enough that really that really i, I really appreciate that i well, I still go take it for the grand of- assault.
2: I'm not that big of a deal <laughs>
1: Well, I still go through a lot of hard times, you know, it's like yeah. life isn't just automatically easy for me now. And, and, and in a lot of ways, life got harder after, you know, success. And I've, right. I've often wanted to write a book about, you know, at the day after, you know, it's like, okay, well, here's the credit right. card that has no limits. Okay, well, uh, you know, yesterday I was eating macaroni and cheese. Today I have a credit card that has no limits. And now what? <laughs> and it it's not yeah. necessarily easier, but when when it does get hard, I remember things like what you've just said, and it, it does keep me going. And I really, truly appreciate that.
2: Well, I really appreciate all your time. And Tyler, thank you for for setting this up and just really really impressed and i know you'll do great things and uh i'm gonna go check out your your stuff that you're doing and and i'm sure there's stuff i could learn from you and i i would love to to continue conversations and i don't know that i'll find a hydro anywhere but uh there's got to be something (laughs) there's got to be something i can come up with that i can say is going to be better and at least i know you got the hook up in china now so we're good that's right
1: Yeah, if ever you need anything, let me know for sure.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Travis, thank you again for joining us here on this episode of uh, People, Process, Service. Man, yeah, we really do appreciate your time and your insights today. And uh, everyone, make sure to go visit travisrosbach.com. That's Travis, T-R-A-V-I-S, Rossbach, R-O-S-B-A-C-H.com. Go check it out and learn more about Travis and hear even more about his story uh, and check out what he's doing today. Travis, thank you again. Yeah. Thank you, Travis.
1: Thank you, guys. It's been awesome. And also, Go Rangers, right?
2: Go Rangers. Go That's Rangers. Right.
0: <laughs> You've been listening to People, Process, Service, a Frontline Source Group podcast. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you like to get your podcasts. For more information, visit frontlinesourcegroup.com.